0: welcome to the conversion show a podcast that's all about you guessed it conversions everything that gets you to your goal whether that's purchase lead capture app install content downloads chat engagement or demo requests we're talking conversions hosted by eric christensen ceo and co-founder of leading conversion optimization platform just do know On The Conversion Show, Eric sits down with industry leading marketers, e-commerce growth experts, founders, and entrepreneurs to chat all things conversion marketing. Be sure to follow The Conversion Show podcast to be notified when a new episode goes live. Like what you hear? Leave us some love with a review. And now here's your host, Eric Christensen. We're gonna roll into The Conversion Show today. And if you're if you're listening just audibly, enjoy if you are in front of a computer you can pull up on youtube uh for any extra visuals of the website but uh to kick it off uh i'm gonna welcome alan burt from blue stout who's been a long time supporter partner of justuno and is a conversion design agency at specializing in shopify which alan can give us a better breakdown than me probably but what i do recommend uh, pull up on your phone, pull up on your computer, bluestout.com. And to really dig in, uh, they have s- under um, what is it, results, go to CRO winners. Yeah, There's CRO gem- winners gems yeah. in there uh, that I was studying. So and Alan Burt, LinkedIn, pull them up. It's worth kind of getting some some background. But with that, I'm gonna welcome Alan to the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. This is gonna be this is gonna be a ton of fun. It's been a while since we chatted. We've been working with just Uno for for years. Um, What I'd say too, just from the the Ciro winners piece, if you're interested, that's the best place to go also just go to bluestout.com slash newsletter. And every Wednesday we send out one of the brand new Ciro winners every Wednesday in the newsletter. So we've got a database of the month site and then we also send them out every single week.
0: So Um, part of the show is all about what are the current trends in conversion and what we're talking about with, you know, customer acquisition costs going, you know, increased over the years where we're at today with the focus on retention, getting more out of your current owned customer base. You know, the with all those, there's a thousand things you can do on site, but oftentimes the resources focus is not there with teams, the tools aren't there, the support from just actual theories of strategies, what to do. You know, with this, trove of strategies you have if we were to step back where do you where are we today with conversion in your mind you know we've been working on this for 10 plus years both you mm-hmm. and I in the space we've seen the evolution what's your take on where you what you see with clients and what you're working towards and conversion
1: yeah, it's a great question, and I think we're at a really interesting crossroads right now because the everybody I think is coming a little bit. I like to call it sort of they're they're in the we're in the hangover stage right now, where we've spent the last most brands have spent the last five years just pumping cash into ads, right? And it worked; it was profitable. Uh, you could scale quickly. Uh, there was really no reason not to. Um, and the landscape has changed where you can't just scale through you know social media ads like you used to anymore. It just doesn't make sense. And so you have to have a, a multi-touch point process for, for being profitable and continue to scale. And so I think the this idea, everybody's always always heard conversion rate optimization, but I think it's become much more important today in the minds of a lot of brands because it's it's now necessary, right? We see a lot of brands that'll hit hit a ceiling and maybe it's a 10 million, maybe it's a 20 million, sometimes it's a 50 million. It kind of just depends on the space um, where all of a sudden that next dollar in ad spend is unprofitable. And, or the margin on that next dollar in ad spend is just so small that it almost doesn't even make sense to continue to scale. And so they're now looking at alternatives and what do we do to improve profitability? What do we do to continue to scale revenue? And they're realizing that there's there's multiple factors in this equation that's that goes... Beyond just traffic and audience, but includes you know once that audience hits the site, how well do, how well do they convert? What rate do they convert at? Average order value? How often do they come back to buy again? Right? And so there's a lot of levers here that brands have to pull. Conversion just being being one of them, and I think um, a lot of brands are are discovering this and realizing the power of it that that real that you know three years ago they didn't they didn't have to worry about. It. Well, it's
0: it's been. It's been sexy and is sexy to spend money. Yeah, right. Yeah, I love that. I love the hangover stage is is kind of where we are. You know, the um, we were talking about conversion focused design earlier. You know, there's so much you can do. You mentioned audiences, and that's what we were. You know, when I think conversion, I really think customer experience. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of the foundational customer experience, but also consumer psychology. What are Absolutely. are we are we satisfying the basic needs of the consumers first, and then and then we can get into incremental um, improvements. And to understand you know the consumer psychology and empathy towards them, you have to understand who they are, which you have to have audience. You have to know who your audience is. Yep. What what strategies do you have or when you have a client come
1: on board to look at their audiences, how do you, where where do you start? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and some sort of it depends on the brand and how well they know their audience. You know, Some brands have sort of taken the time to dig into the data and they have a really good understanding of what drives purchase decisions. Other brands don't. Um, and so it depends a little bit on where they start. But regardless, we always extract as much as we can from the team. And so at the end of the day, whether or not they know it or not, The brands, the brand owners, the the folks running the day-to-day have a lot more information if you know what what questions to ask. So what we're always trying to dig out at the very beginning is understanding, what do you know about your buyers that drives a purchase decision at the end of the day, right? And we know that customers make purchase decisions in essentially two stages, whether they realize it or not. It's always an emotional decision first, and then there's always a logical justification of that emotional decision. And depending upon the product and depending upon the industry and the type of buyer you have, more emphasis is placed on the emotional versus the logical. You know, so if you're buying a, you know, like a food product, you know, a health food product, that's a lot of that's going to be a logical decision based upon things like, you know, macros and protein levels and where it was produced and nat- all natural ingredients, right? Um, so they might be sold emotionally on the brand, but they're going to be logically sold on, on the ingredients You know, if it's a product like handbags, those are handbags, you know, that's going to be primarily an emotional buy with just a very small amount of a logical justification for the the emotional part of the purchase. And so you have to first start and understand, you know, when incentivize the buyer, you know, what type of product are you selling? Um, And then from there, you can start to dig into the data and actually watch customers and see how they interact on site. You can actually start running some tests to see, hey, if we actually move some of these more emotional selling points higher up in the customer journey, does that influence you know, things like conversion rate and revenue? Um, if we move, you know, for some, maybe things like a food product, if we move things like ingredients higher up on a page, does that start to you know, affect sort of the logical decision-making process? So you can start to learn about the buyer through things like testing. But the first place we always start is just digging into what the what the brand already knows about their buyer.
0: That's interesting. The emotional and logical. I I think to um, Mad Men, like just you yeah. know, how how they would the the those writers of that show how they were able to just key into the emotional story and selling. Uh-huh. You know, yep. John Draper would go in. So when we talk logical, we're talk we're, we're thinking. You know, you mentioned ingredients and stuff. Would that also be? Uh, is it, you know the the core elements of. The shopping experience being yeah returns, price, customer yep. service that that would fall under
1: the logical you know, so logical, we have a we have a a framework we call the three p's. and so you've got emotional selling and then you've got logical selling. and then logical selling, we're always looking at the three p's and three p's are questions about the product, right? So, if it's a food product, as an example, people want to know what's, what's in it. Um, if it's a you know, luxury handbag, right? they might be like, well, what is this going to look like on me? So like, is there a model that's showing you know, what the bag and sizing is going to look like on you? right? So there's questions that customers have about the product, and that's going to vary depending upon what the product industry is. Um, the second P is questions about process. And so this could be process with regard to how does the product work? Right, if you're buying electronics, right, you might need to understand how easy this is to install. You go to Sonos, right, and you're looking into doing some. You know, buy a product in Sonos, the speakers. Do I have to install this in my wall? Do I need a second product in order to make this work, or is it just plug and play? And it's ready to go. So there's questions about process as it relates to the product itself, and there's also questions about process as it relates to what happens after I buy this. Now, when's it going to show up? You know, once I get it, if I try this on and it doesn't fit, can I return it? Right, what's your return policy? So there's a whole slew of questions that kind of fall under this process uh, P, and then the final is what we call perceived risk. And so, at the end of the day, you know there's not risk associated with your product because it's a great product as as the brand and the owner. But to the customer, there's a certain level of perceived risk if they've never purchased from you before. So you have to understand what that level of perceived risk is and then how do you mitigate that perceived risk through the site experience. And so something like, for example, just at the most basic level, free shipping, free returns, or warranties, or look, you go to Patagonia, right? And Patagonia has a lifetime warranty on all their products, tears for any, any reason, you send it back in, they send you a new one or they fix it for you. And so that's a, that helps to reduce that level of perceived risk of the buyer. Um, And that's, you know, one of those logical decision-making points that every customer is going to have is a certain, certain percentage of perceived risk. And obviously the higher the price point, the more important things like perceived risk become.
0: And that's where like trust comes in. Yep. Trust, big Big factor. factor. Uh, Solly from Bomb Tech Golf was just on uh, his 60 day money back guarantee to reduce the risk. It was a big winner for him, but it it also saved him having to do road shows. Really? Yeah, because he would go to do live demos and oh, he didn't have to do the
1: live demos, right? Yeah, it was such a a triumph. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It was a big win. You know, a lot of what you're talking about on the emotional aspect with the product, process, perceived risk. I'm sensing we're all we're talking about the product page here.
1: Product page is definitely the main sales page for that, Um, but it happens throughout the entire buyer journey, right? And so, yes, product page is the main sales page, but like, you know, as an example, you add a product to cart um, right before somebody goes to checkout, right? Anything that's going to explain to them a 100% money back guarantee. I mean, like take BombTech as a great example. Like, I don't know if Silly did this, but you know, what we'd be looking at, at least testing would be, okay, you've got a 60 day money back guarantee. Maybe somebody didn't see that on the product page. So when they go to cart mm-hmm. and they go to checkout, we need to be reiterating those perceived risk uh, reduction points throughout the entire stage of the customer journey. And also things like, um, you know, logical selling can begin as early um, as the homepage. You know, we've we run tests all the time on the homepage that will take customer testimonials or press mentions that speak very specifically to a pain point that a customer has that they need to make sure is solved as part of a product. Um, and we'll start to introduce that story very, very early in the customer journey so that they can see it multiple times before they even get to a product page to make a decision. So the entire journey has to be taken into account. It's, you know, it's not just one page, but the product page is definitely the primary sales page.
0: You know, you mentioned the reviews and testimonials you know, one big trend I'm noticing right now that we're working to is towards is taking that about us page mm-hmm. and getting that more to the forefront. And really, you know, most, you know, pop-ups themselves, you know, we're 13 years into building pop-ups and right, if they're, they're still, in, my, in most cases, dumb. You know, they treat yep. every visitor the same yep. and messaging of save 10% off. It's like, no, there's more that can be done. And as we talk about, you know, price is important, but it's not when someone lands on the homepage, for example, it's not what people are care about today. They care about right. the other key factor, trust. How do you mm-hmm. build that trust to get them to the product page or to get them to not bounce right away?
1: Yep. And it's what, really um, typically kind of a balance, right? Where it's you need to make the make the claim or the hook, right? That's that's the reason they're there. Right. So you know, take you know, take food as an example, right? Cause it's i I'm just making something up and say it's like a protein powder, right? And it's, you have so to, somebody is there because they want a low calorie, high protein shake to have in the morning, you know, you, a, you have to state the value proposition and where, you know, things like social proof come into play there is that it validates the claim. And so if I land on a page, I see, you know, you know, number one best-selling protein powder for, you know, triathletes, right? Like speaks directly to the ICP and then below that, a quote from Outside Magazine that you know, validates that initial claim, right? You're using the trust basically to, to your buyers come to the page, you've hooked them with what they care about, and then you have used social, um, social proof to validate the claim you just made that hooked them. And that's what then gets them to move on to something like a product page. And there's lots of ways to do that, um, but that's, that's how we see things like trust early in the customer journey being the most effective.
0: That's a, that's a great example. I imagine you have some CRO winners with those, those, uh, I'm temp- sure
1: we, I'm sure I, I know we do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not that exact example, but, um, we definitely have examples of using, using social proof. Um, so I, for example, I know we have a CRO winner that's very specifically where we removed an entire logo section on a homepage. So it was a product. I think it was actually an outerwear product um, and I think we had logos from like, you know, five different publications, very well-known publications, and we removed all the logos and kept one single logo, but with a quote. And that quote very specifically um, addressed the primary selling benefit of that product. And that way outperformed showing, you know, six other you know, well-established press logos. So that that single quote was the was sort of the game changer there for that that test. So I'm sure
0: like many many retailers themselves it's all about resources and you just meant like what you just mentioned is is one one strategy that can be Mm -hmm. tested and implemented
1: where where do you begin like yeah (laughs) it's a good question I get that question all the time it's um it's it's the worst ever answer ever because it just depends but it it does depend on the brand and it depends upon where they are in their journey. Right. And so, you know, if a brand comes to us, that's, you know, sub a million in revenue, uh, they're, they're probably not a great fit for us, but it's, you know, and they're saying, Hey, we got to increase conversions, you know, typically their, their best game plan is not going to be, you know, systematic AB testing every single week. Right. There's just not enough to move the needle there. If they're having trouble scaling Profitably sub a million, there's a fundamental issue in alignment with their offer and their customer and their traffic, right? That's you're, that's, you know, testing a few things on the homepage and product page is not going to change your ability to scale uh, at that level um, if you don't have very true alignment with your product, your offer, and your audience. Um, the brands that are, you know, eight figure brands, which is the, you know, mainly all of our brands are, are above 10 million, they're in sort of the 10 to 100 million range. Those brands um, at that point have found that alignment, right? They've scaled profitably, most of them, uh, into the eight-figure range. And at this point, they're typically hitting the ceiling where, because right now this is this is the, the main pain point, hitting a ceiling where ads are just not not profitable and they're having to find other ways to scale. And this is where, look, their offer and their audience made sense. They were able to scale to a certain point. Now it's time for us to go in and, and tweak and refine, right? And so the, the example, the analogy I always like to give I think it's a good analogy. I'll um, let you tell me if you think it is, but it's you know Formula One's you know getting popular now. So I think I like to think of sites as like an F1 car, right? So there's a time for when you you know you get in and you tweak aerodynamics and you fine tune the engine and there's alignments, right? And that's what makes the difference between first and second place. But you don't even get on the grid unless your car's got two back tires, right? And so there's stages to this and brands that are typically below that $10 million range they're typically missing a back tire, right? There's something big that's a fundamental problem with their alignment between product, uh, offer, audience. Once they get above that $10 million range, that's when we can start to really fine tune the elements. They're already going fast. They get a lot of traffic coming through the site. You know, 10 small changes made over the course of a few months could be the difference between an extra million in profit or not. Um, and so it kind of, first off, we have to assess the stage of the business. And then once we assess that, and let's kind of take an eight figure brand as an example, then we can dig into the weeds, look in the data, understand their top traffic channels, how are customers moving their way through the site, which of those channels are performing really well, which ones aren't, and then find the pain points of where we see customers dropping off. And then we can assess why they're dropping off and kind of using the frameworks, things like I talked about emotional selling and, and the three P's. You know, we can use frameworks like that to then assess and say, okay, no, you're seeing a huge drop off of customers on your product pages. You guys sell a food product, as an example. Uh, we don't see any easy access to ingredients, or you guys have buried the ingredients information deep in an expandable box at the bottom of the page. So we can then start to assess what may be the challenges and issues at those particular pain points, and then start to run tests to improve.
0: Well, I have a theory that 99.9% of websites can be optimized further. Yeah you could probably say a hundred percent. I'm going to go with hundred percent.
1: I don't. Yeah. I, I, yes, I, I would, you know, I'll say 99.9, just to be concerned. <laughs> yeah.
0: Just cover yeah. that. Just, yeah. to, just to cover, of course, our own two websites. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, we're not the cobbler's shoe situation here. You yeah. Know, right. Shoes, right. Uh, you, you know, my experience with, being a retailer myself in a hyper growth mode and working with, with other retailers is this, you know, when we're growing at 300% a year, we were focused on operations. We had the traffic, Mm -hmm. you know, one, you know, 1% here didn't make a difference when I'm growing 300% because we have so much traffic coming in, et cetera. Um, Once you get to that eight figure mark, that 1%, you can report back to the CFO of how much money investing X dollars into an agency or yep. software makes. And that's the other you know element of getting back to the ROI. Yeah. There's yes. no, like the ROI on focusing on conversion is it's immediate.
1: Yeah, it, it couldn't be more clear in the data.
0: Yeah, but that's when it gets, you have to be able to present that. and right now everyone is is claiming attribution where where if we go down that that fork in terms of testing how do you how do you present
1: that back to your clients yeah great question and it and it requires education and i think this is i think one of the I think there's two main challenges right now and and this is especially we see this a lot for very mature brands that we work with that have been around for a long time like we have a couple of brands that are you know over 100 years old which is wild um and um you talk these brands have been you know in business for a long time they they understand it better um brands that are fast growing that you know two years ago they're doing five million now they're doing you know 25 million It's, they haven't been in the game long enough to kind of really understand the nuances of some of these optimization um, practices. And so they still look at things like full store conversion rate. And so I think this is one of the, the big sort of missions I'm on when we talk to brands is understanding that looking at your full store conversion rate, like log into Shopify, look at your analytics and look at your full store conversion rate is an absolutely terrible metric for making any sort of decision. Um, there's too many variables that come into play, you know seasonality effects, um, traffic, you know products out of stock, right? There's just you know maybe you made some bad merchandising decisions. And so there's so many factors that compound into that number that's and it's going to fluctuate wildly depending upon sales and all types of different types of data points. And so we have lots of brands that are like, look, we need to grow full store conversion rates you know twenty five percent. you know, but we're also planning on doubling traffic over the next twelve months. It's like, I can tell you, right now that's, probably impossible to do. Uh, You can 100% optimize your site and drive more more revenue. But if you're talking about introducing your brand to who acts your audience. So now half of this audience is gonna be cold. They've never heard of you before and expect your conversion rate to increase at the same time is illogical, right? It's like, everybody knows a scales traffic that that next outer loop, right? That next outer circle of audience is always gonna perform worse. They're colder, they're less niche. They're also more expensive. Um, And so part of this is training brands, understanding that you have to dig deeper and you have to isolate those numbers. And so you need to look very specifically and say, okay, look, we're gonna look very specifically at your Facebook traffic that lands on your collections page and goes to your product page and goes to cart, goes to checkout because for you right now, as an example, that is your top revenue pathway, right? And so we're gonna focus on this because we know that that traffic source, right? We can monitor that, we can measure it, we can see how it changes we're going to improve performance across that channel. Um, and that that doesn't necessarily mean conversion increases. It just is going to mean revenue increases. So if we keep conversion rate the same, but average revenue per user coming through that channel improves by 25%, that's a huge win. And that should be the win you care about. Um, and so a lot of this comes back to, we talk about conversion rate optimization. We talk about conversions. Conversions are one lever. What everybody cares about is revenue and, and profit. And so we have to work with brands to help them understand that at that size, full store conversion rate is a terrible metric. Don't make decisions based upon it. A B, we need to isolate, look at very specific channels. And then two, what we really need to be tracking is revenue increases and cor- conversion is just one of those levers that we can pull to, to improve it. Okay. That's not sure if that answered sure. your question or not. But
0: no, that is fantastic because it, you know, you mentioned full store conversion rate versus isolating channels and digging into that. And, you know, when you analyze a business, what what I like to do is the same thing. It's like, look, let's look at the low hanging fruit. Let's take where, you know, let's just say 80% of your revenue where it's coming from. Let's think, would you rather increase that by 10%? Or would you like to focus on that other 20% increase that by 10%? You're gonna take that 80. So what is that 80 and whatever that breakdown is, and so if you look at those channels coming in okay let's figure out your five let's isolate your five channels
1: mm-hmm. let's
0: look at what the conversion rate is for each of them and you can even do sub channels of yep. you know cuz you 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 have brand new unidentified visitors you have repeat visitors who haven't yep. purchased and then you have customers yep. coming back that have purchased and then from those you build out the profile of, you know let's talk about international because your yeah. australian customers you need to speak to them differently than ones from other countries. There, you got to talk about shipping. You got to talk about payment methods, and let them know, hey, we we get you. You're in Australia. You want a product? We'll get it to you. So now you get those, and and that is where we are today. But you know, providing a tool to track that and it's to tough. manage it, yeah, that is that's
1: what's exciting about what's being built, you know, in our world. And- that's and that's the that is a major gap, and it's I think unfortunately, it's about to get even harder with the move to GA4 uh, because for most brands, GA4 is it it's this you know black hole of data, without very clear ways to to segment. You can do it. It's just it's just difficult and it's new and nobody knows how to use it. Um, so you know what we do for our clients is like as an example, we, know, we pull in GA data and we basically build out custom data studios for brands that show them these metrics and we map them for them so they can see these channels. But um, you're absolutely right. From a tool perspective, there's been a lack of good quality tools that focus on the site experience that track those analytics, track that traffic by channel, shows performance changes over time, etc.
0: The big, you know, the big conversation currently is zero and first party data. Yeah. And, you know, I have this, this gut feeling that while a lot of people are talking about it, when it comes to resources to actually implement the on-site zero party, first party capture, you know, if we've had such struggles to this point to just focus on conversion, are people focusing on capturing that zero-party data?
1: Yeah, I, I hear you. I think it's—I think it's a challenge. I don't think many are.
0: What if if someone's listening? They're like they've heard about zero-party. You know, their boss maybe asked them what's going on. What what recommendations do you have? Any strategies in your Sierra winner or you know, what are you seeing?
1: You know, that's a tough one. I don't think I have. I don't think we have anything in sort of like the Sierra winner side to really, really focus on that. I think the you know the the piece we always recommend for brands is when it when it comes to it really is first off, you just have to understand the channels. You have to understand where your customers are, are, are coming from. Um and then be able to to map them through the site. And that's actually not that hard to do with with the existing data. You just need to know how to do it. Um and that's, I think that's for most brands, that's really right now the best first step. Because you'd be you'd be shocked by how many brands we talk to that are you know over twenty million in revenue, and you know you show them something in analytics, and it's and it's like you've shown shown them the light. Like they're like, how did you find this? And it's like, and it's and and actually made a post on LinkedIn, LinkedIn about this the other day. It's like I I truly believe because I've now seen this across you know a dozen brands over the last six months where. Especially, and I think there's a sweet spot here where it's probably somewhere between like 10 million and 30 million in revenue, where you know they're scaled, they've grown, but the team is still super, super bootstrapped, very tight, right? Like everybody's wearing a dozen hats a piece to get work done. Nobody has time or the inclination, or maybe the inclination, but frankly, just don't have the skill set to go in and spend the time slicing the data in a way that's going to provide meaningful, actionable metrics. Um, and so. I, and because we see it, you know, there's lots of twenty million dollar brands sitting out there right now that are literally just sitting on millions of dollars of profit uh, of optimization opportunities, and they don't even know it.
0: The the marketing teams that's been the the phrase this year. They're they're asking to do more with less, while yeah. also having to cut their Martech stack down. Yeah. So, hey, we let's cut. We got to cut budget. What can we cut? Yep. And and maybe they have less resources on their own team. Yeah, you know, It's it 100 the, the case. The building a sustainable business is what it gets in, you know, yeah. comes from. And it comes from leadership in companies recognizing where they should focus their time and resources for the company. And, you know, you, you look at customer-centric brands. Those are the ones that are able to retain their customers right now and have an owned customer base they can market to yep. to bring them back. The, yep. you know, we've talked a lot about the, you know, 10 figure brands, you know, the six, seven figure brands, the, the main message for that, for that segment is, is that it's all about starting today. Yeah. To start, start collecting capturing, the data now. whether it's an email address, whatever yep. you can capture so mm-hmm. that you build up your own channels.
1: Yep. hundred percent.
0: And so that when yeah. they, do, they do come back. Yeah.
1: Uh, I mean it's, I, it's you know what's what old is new right it's you know emails emails never emails emails not going away right and the more you better you can own own that channel own the data um the the better
0: the i often have referenced amazon um and yet amazon gets referenced in positive and negative ways um the, there's so many incredible positives given jeff bezos mm-hmm. has been customer centric from day yeah. one just as yep. Tony Shea at Zappos, you know, you're focusing on that customer experience.
1: Mm-hmm. You're just,
0: uh, just this last week, I bought some shoes online, speaking to Zappos, and I had two. um I got a pair of New Balances, and then um some Saucony's. Saucony is that yep. the name. Of it? Yeah, and yeah. my wife's like, you know, I showed her the, the shoes. She's like, "Don't get those. Look at Saucony's, because it was too old man." So I looked at Saucony's, and I, I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna test out shopping on." Can I say their brand? And I was on Saucony's.com shopping. I had a pair of shoes in the car, the cart, yeah. and they absolutely failed on me. They offered me a twenty percent off code, and it, it when it went to check out, only gave me ten percent off. Couldn't find. Oh, out. they
1: just bombed. Uh,
0: and and then there was other things that happened i forget so yeah and i went to zappos and found another
1: brand goya or something's awesome brand Mm -hmm. bought from them easy yeah it's friction customer friction is a big deal it's um i think the and this you know goes to i think with things that shop has done incredibly well uh is focus on kind of Front of the house or front, you know, front end consumer um, and customer experience enhancements. And you know, one of my favorite tests that we've seen perform incredibly well across brands is like we all know Express Payments. We all understand what Shop Pay is. If you know for merchants watching this, you know Shop Pay is an incredible tool. Um, but what we've done in some instances of brands is we don't even offer the Shop Pay on like a product page or the cart page. All we just say is express payments available or shop pay available in text and just mentioning that improves conversions across the board and almost every time we tested and I think it speaks really really highly to how much consumers value just ease and you know they've made a decision you've sold them emotionally a lot of that emotional decision may have been made across social or the channels before they got to the site once they got to the site it's really just about how fast can I find what I want, and how easily can I buy it without having to think twice about it, pull out a credit card, and put it in. And stores that offer express and offer things like Shop Pay, they convert better. And so all the data that came out from Shopify earlier today, talking about how they convert better, than everybody else, so I fully, you know, I, don't, I haven't seen any of the data to back it, but I fully believe it, just based yeah. on you know. Harley will come like to
0: speak to your CEO or CFO, yeah. according to him.
1: Yeah, I love it. I think it's
0: great. The I think you just provided a fantastic tip for the audience and maybe something we can kind of close down today with. Sure. Is, you know, pay, payment is critical. and It's why Amazon has been so successful. You show yeah. up on Amazon, you're already logged in, and they have the one-click pay, buy button, everything. And Shopify has been working to figure out how can we replicate that experience mm-hmm. along with uh, Bolt, uh, Google mm-hmm. Pay, -hmm. Shopify, but you know how to do it across platform ecosystems where it it makes sense for like when you are shopping ten different websites for it to work. It it makes sense, and you know customer friction. That is something I had written down actually yesterday, which was understanding what are the friction points, and let's start there and start just plugging away at reducing those for your customers. But the real tip that you you I like you had is is having that, you don't have to say, you shop pay. You just have to speak to the consumer, say, hey, we get it. You want easy payment or one easy payment. doesn't matter which one you offer. You're speaking to their needs and understanding, showing empathy. So that right there, I think we can take away. Yeah, Um,
1: it's a great, it's a great tip, especially on mobile, especially for uh, very mobile-centric brands.
0: Yeah, mobile is, God, I wish we had another 30 minutes because <laughs> maybe I'll be the next one because what's going on in mobile, you know, it's a mobile first world for many brands Yeah. Right? yeah. and talk about something that's often overlooked, um, mm-hmm. in, in every industry, be it SaaS. um, you know, I just received a payment link from Proposify and I couldn't pay because their, their cookie banner wouldn't close. <laughs>
1: It, and you'd be shocked at how many brands have that type of stuff going on and they have no idea.
0: Yeah, you know, I think the the best thing for brands to do, which I always love to do, was go and shop my website. Like, yeah. yeah. I, do you ever ask your clients like, hey, when was the last time you bought something from your website?
1: You know, if we actually don't ask that question enough. I think that's a, an amazing question to, to ask brands. Um, you know, we do it, right? And we take on brands. And that's That's one of the first things we do. Um, is where's you know, the low-hanging friction points just from... I mean, we can look at the data all day and we're a data-driven firm, but it's amazing what you discover just by pulling up a site on mobile and trying to click around and seeing where you get frustrated. Yeah I mean, one, of my, one of my favorite things to do is I watch my wife shop on her phone because uh, she shops on her phone all the time. Yeah. And you know where does she get mad? Where does she get pissed off? And now she's just learned. She just tells me, she's like, I'm not buying this because they won't let me do this or this or this. I'm like, well, that's, that's an amazing insight. Understanding your customers. Yep, yep. Um, and I think the the piece, the last piece I'd mention too, and you know, somebody want to close it down is that in a world where profit margins matter, you know, these friction points are are a big deal, right? And I think this is most the, the math that most brands don't do is they don't realize that okay, sure, we could we can grow revenue ten percent by scaling up ads. Uh, the reality is that you know, scaling up ads by ten percent to drive ten percent more revenue is not going to improve margins by 10% because the cost of acquisition actually goes up the more you scale. The difference is if you can improve revenue 10% with conversion, at the end of the day, that's that's 10% more revenue that you're getting on the same marketing spend. And so there is no incremental cost of acquisition to improve conversion rates by 10%. So a 10% improvement of revenue from CRO is closer to a 20 to 30, 40, 50% increase in profit margin, depending upon what your gross margins are um, and how big you are. But it's ai I don't think many brands do the math that way because I think le- brands have been less profit-focused in recent years, the last kind of five, 10 years, but now they're becoming more profit-focused. And its it's literally the most profitable thing you can do is just drive more revenue from your existing marketing spend.
0: Well, when you, you look at sustainability, you know, if we were to go down this gopher hole right now, it's like that visitor, if you don't convert them on that first visit or the second visit, you're having to retarget them to get them yep. back 100. you know, whether a new visitor or whatever. And, you know, if you just capture that email address, you can at least do list suppression yep. in your date ads and start emailing them to get them back. Yep. The, the That right there, your ROAS, you can mm-hmm. solve solve a lot and yep. then you know talk about time and resources and then the whole other side is their customer experience we, you know, we haven't talked about post-purchase right. once, they, once they purchase are you getting that package out are you getting them the right item are they satisfied are mm-hmm. they going to earn it you know reduction of returns the happy yep. customers come, come, come back and buy i mean this retail world it there is a tremendous amount that goes on beyond just driving traffic Absolutely, and we're still in the infancy of trying to understand what that is and and what what needs to happen. But, like you said, there is so much money being left on the table right now, and uh, thankfully, they have Blue Stout and Justina to help them get that money. Exactly right, (laughs) Alan. Well, thank you for the time today, really appreciate it.
1: This is a ton of fun. I'm glad we did that.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh. You know, as we were partway through 2023, you know, I think businesses are going to be in a, a healthier place come 2024 as we, we, we create more sustainable business models here.
1: I think, and that's, and I, I have, you know, I think almost every brand I talk to is there's a similar discussion being, you know, being had where it's this this year is a it's a bit of a rebuilding year for everybody it doesn't mean you're not still continue to scale but it means that there's there's pieces of the model that are no longer working and they need to be you know, rebuilt now it's like you now everybody won the super bowl the last three years and now they're at the bottom of the league and everybody's got to have to kind of rebuild the team a little bit and so i think it's a i think there's a massive opportunity for brands to come out of this wildly more profitable, wildly more um, sustainable, um, and uh, and, in just a much better position to scale because there's always opportunity around the turn, right? There's going to be new traffic channels. There's going to be new opportunities to introduce your product to your audience. And so you might as well be fully optimized and ready to take advantage of it when, when it comes.
0: All right, great. Well, here's the 2024 exactly <laughs> <laughs> awesome Alan. well thank you so much uh bluestout.com um and how else can can uh anyone listening i know you had, i think you have a, an audit pre-audit how else can people check in with blue stout
1: yeah so the best ways uh so bluestout.com is the the main site um if you're interested in in getting And seeing we have a massive database of of CRO recommendations that are based upon actual A-B test results that have been run on eight, nine-figure brands. Um, And we email those winners out every single Wednesday. Uh, So you can go to bluestout.com slash newsletter. And that's the best place to to sign up for for those. Um, And that'll also give you access to our entire database of of winners. And then I'm on on the socials, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn at just uh, Alan Burt. Um, And I post, uh, you know, daily CRO wins uh, across both those every day. Sweet,
0: awesome. Well, thank you again. And we've got some more exciting guests coming down the pipe. So be sure to subscribe, get alerts when when we launch these. And with that, um, happy converting.